0: Thank you. Thank you, guys. (laughs) I got really freaked out earlier because I was in here setting up in a tank top, kind of sweating, and I, like, glanced out the window and, like, white stuff was falling, and I was like, what's going on? It was the trees. It was the trees. not snowing. Um, But anyway, so excited to be with you guys tonight. I'm so glad you're here. Um, So I have a question for you. Uh, who in here would consider themselves a romantic? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah. I uh you can be honest. It's okay. Thank you. Thank you boys for being honest. Um <laughs> I totally am, I always have been, Uh, man, Prince Charming, you know, going to rescue um, Snow White, Prince Philip going to rescue Sleeping Beauty, Prince whatever, he doesn't have a name, I don't think, Uh, going to rescue Cinderella, if you know his name, let me know, because I couldn't find it, Um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, the Beast coming to rescue Belle, my personal favorite Beauty and the Beast fans, yes, thank you, um... Even, like, I think his name is Li Shang going to rescue Mulan. Isn't that his name, right? Who's a Mulan fan? Oh, yeah. It's so good. It's so funny because every single one of these stories, when you think about it, is, like, basically the same, right? (laughs) Like, you have a damsel who gets in distress And then you have a hero, right? They're the same. Like for centuries, it's been like the same story over and over again, but it never gets old because we all love a good love story. And some of you out there who didn't, most of you who didn't raise your hands and say you're romantic, mostly the boys, um, I have a question for you, okay? You have to raise your hands here, everybody. Who in here has ever liked somebody, Oh, okay, who in here has ever flirted with somebody? Keep those hands high. Oh, even higher. Okay, who in here has ever dated somebody? Just keep your hands up if you, if you already raised them. Who in here has ever thought or dreamed about marrying someone, even if they didn't exist or were on the TV? Okay, okay. So now we get the real story, right? We see what's really going on. Um, we all love romance, just because you might not, you know, if you think you're too cool to be a romantic, you are a romantic. Everybody wants to find that one person, right? Everybody wants that, that love story, that romance. It's just true. That's who we are. And you know what? It's okay. It's totally normal. In fact, it's biblical, which is cool. And we're going to talk about that tonight. So tonight we're talking about dating and marriage. Woohoo! Um... It's a crucial ending. This is the last of our uh, four-part series on relationships tonight. Um, sad day, we're moving on after this, it's so fun. Um, but the reason that we're talking about it is because it is something so crucial um, to like our lives, right? I mean, I-, I, would, I would wager a guess that literally everyone in here probably thinks about dating and or marriage on the daily, if not daily, at least weekly. You think that's right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it's pretty important, right? And it's also really important to God, and we need to know what he thinks about it, right? So before we dive in, I'm going to pray, and we'll get started, okay? Sound good? Jesus, we love you. God, we're so grateful for who you are. God, I just pray that tonight, Lord, you would speak to us. Um, Lord, that you would just reveal your heart to us, Jesus, and that, um, God, we would just see more of you, more of what you think about this, God, so that we can walk out of here um, just with a, with a better understanding of what dating and marriage should look like, um, can look like, Lord, and, and who you are most of all, God, um, and what you desire for us. So we love you, Jesus. We just welcome you into this place and into our hearts. Um, and we pray all of this in your precious name. Amen. Okay, so before we talk about dating, we have to talk about marriage, okay? Marriage. So dating isn't really mentioned anywhere in the Bible, but marriage definitely is. A lot of times, actually. Um, There's a really cool quote by Tim Keller, um, who's awesome, by the way, um, from his book, The Meaning of Marriage. I still haven't made it through. I started it like three years ago when I got married, (laughs) Um, but it's really good. It's just taking me a while. Um, But he says, uh, in the Bible, there are three human institutions that stand apart from all others, the family, the church, and the state. There's nothing in the Bible about how schools should be run, even though they are crucial to a flourishing society. There's nothing there about business corporations or museums or hospitals. In fact, there are all sorts of great institutions and human enterprises that the Bible doesn't address or regulate. And so we are free to invent them and operate them in line with the general principles for human life that the Bible gives us. But marriage is different. Marriage did not evolve in the late Bronze Age as a way to determine property rights. At the climax of the Genesis account of creation, we see God bringing a woman and a man together to unite them in marriage. The Bible begins with the wedding of Adam and Eve and ends in the book of Revelation with the wedding of Christ and the church. We're going to talk more about that later. Marriage is God's idea. It is certainly also a human institution, but the concept and roots of human marriage are in God's own action. And therefore, what the Bible says about God's design for marriage is crucial. It's crucial. So what did God design, right? That's kind of the question. So we're going to turn to turn your Bibles or grab a Bible in front of you turn to Genesis 2. You can't miss it. It's right there at the beginning of the whole book, all right? Just one chapter in. Genesis two, eighteen through 24. So up until this point in the story, there hasn't been... Well, there actually has been a whole lot, only one chapter, but actually God created the whole world. Um, And so kind of a big deal. Um, So God is like, with, with the word of his mouth, he is, you know, bringing like the whole world into order, plants, animals, and then finally man, right? Out of the dust of the ground, God raises Adam, the first man, breathes life into him. So we have, this is where we are in the story, okay? So picking up in verse 18, Um, I didn't think to send Sean a picture. Some of you, if you follow me on Instagram or you know me, you've seen it, but I have probably the cutest dog in the whole wide world. Um, he looks like a wolf. He's all white. He's a Siberian Husky. He's adorable. Um, and I love, I love, love, love my dog. Um, but if you have pets, you know this to be true. They are incredible companions, right? (laughs) Man's best friend. Um, (laughs) but, um. it only goes so far, right? Like, you can be friends with dogs or cats or whatever, but there's just something missing eventually, right? So I just imagine, like, all these animals are, like, going in front of Adam, and not that God's surprised, like, he thought, you know, one of them was going to work for him, but, you know, they're going by, and Adam's just, like, kind of getting sadder and sadder, like, these are really cool, but none of them look like me, like, ah, something's missing, right? And God's like, I knew this was going to come, you know. So, um, so anyways, I just thought that was kind of funny to think about that. Um, so even as much as I love my dog, we need people, right? We need like, <laughs> like someone like us. And God knew that. He's so good. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then he closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he would taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. I finally found what I was looking for, right? This is it. None of those animals, that, they didn't work right. This is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This is so cool. There's so much in this. I think it's amazing that God took a a rib, such a vulnerable place in the man, right? Protecting the most vital part of his being, his heart, right? And God takes a rib to make the woman, right? So cool. There's just so much in this. But um, verse 24 says that when a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, they become one flesh, So this idea of one flesh is what God intended for a man and a woman. That idea of being like glued together, like super glue, right? Inseparable. Jesus even says this actually later um, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. He says, so a husband and wife are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The nature of sex and marriage is oneness in person, not just in body, okay? Sex is first mentioned in the Bible within its proper context of marriage. You cannot have one without the other. They go together. So what does this have to do with dating, right? According to what we see in the Bible, the very first relationship between two humans, a man and a woman, was that of marriage, Is that crazy to anybody else? I was thinking about that, and I was like, I never thought about that before. Like, it wasn't like, you know, brother and sister or like, you know, like father and son or, you know, just like two pals. Like, it was a marriage. That was the first relationship in the entire world between humans. Isn't that crazy? Kind of a big deal. So this means that marriage is really important to God And it's been a part of his design since the very creation of the world. And it also shows us that there is no romantic relationship between a man and a woman, something that extends beyond just those ties of a family member or a friend, that doesn't head towards marriage. That's not intended to head towards marriage, right? Any romantic relationship is meant to go there. It's got a destination. So dating, as we know it, can have only one place it's heading— and that's marriage. That's God's design. Okay? So, might be a little bit hard to hear, but anything that's not that, any dating that isn't heading towards marriage, is actually unbiblical. And it's a deviance from God's design for us. Okay? So, we have to understand this before we move forward because it's, this is so huge. And I think this, like, brings a big question to us right now. that I want you to ask yourself as we move forward. Can I trust God and his design? Can I trust God and his design? Because it will be crucial for you moving forward with God's design of marriage and of dating and of romance. We have to, we have to make a choice. Will I trust God? Right? So just like all of God's designs, romance and marriage are beautiful. Um, They don't often look very beautiful in today's world. And I'm certain that to many of you, a functioning, healthy, fun, God-honoring relationship or marriage is probably about as real as one of those Disney movies. Um, But it's so important that we understand the truth about these things, that God designed marriage and that he calls it good. God is more of a romantic than we are is that cool? He's more of a romantic than we are. I hope that tonight you can walk away with not only a more realistic vision of what marriage and dating can and should be, but also a greater understanding of the God who designed them. That's the most important thing I want you to walk away with. So what about dating? We've talked about marriage. Dating is simply the journey towards marriage, okay? It's the ins and outs and the ups and downs of sorting out who are you going to spend the rest of your life with, right? And unlike Adam and Eve, the choice is not so easy for us. Anyone here ever wish that there was just, like, one other person in the whole world? <laughs> it would make the choosing a lot easier, right? You're like, ah. Oh. Um, one of our friends and heroes from the Chi Alpha at UVA in Virginia, his name is Pete Bulette. Um, he's awesome. He says this really simple quote. He says, selection is 90% of the issue. <laughs> Um, if we can get this right, then most everything else like falls into place. Which you're like, oh, that sounds great. And then you think about it and you're like, oh, so much pressure, right? But don't, don't be anxious. It's okay. We're going to talk this out. So um, who here has dealt with the nightmare that is house hunting? Anybody? <laughs> okay. Yeah, me too. Actually, I'm in that right now. Um, our lease is up in about a month and we don't have a house. Um, it's fine. Uh, and uh, It's okay. You know, it's like a, an, a what's the word? Um, I, I like lose words. I'm pregnant, by the way. I don't know if you knew this. Um, it's really exciting. Uh, it's Charles, baby, just so everyone knows. <laughs> um but I, like, legitimately, I used to think pregnancy brain was, like, so dumb. And it's, it's really real. Uh, I, like, forget stuff all the time. I'm like, what is that word? Ah, the English language is, like, escaping me. Anyway. All right. House hunting. So, um When you're house hunting, there's stuff that you look for that you're like, I am not going to budge on this, right? That, like, this has got to be in this house I'm going to live in, right? But then there's also stuff where you're like, ah, this would be nice, but it's, like, not that big of a deal. It's not, like, a must, right? Everyone know what I'm talking about? Okay. So we, we might call these negotiables and non-negotiables, all right? So non-negotiables, when you're house hunting, uh, might be at their most basic level, like, you know, a roof that doesn't leak, um, a bathroom, you know, like that would probably be a non-negotiable, hopefully, for most of you. Um, locks on the door, hopefully that's non-negotiable for you, too. Um, for me, non-negotiables right now, it's got to have three bedrooms. Um, it's got to have a yard for my beautiful uh, pup. It's um, got to have a washer, dryer, okay? Just some basic stuff. Um, some things that would be nice, so in other words, negotiable uh, would be two full bathrooms instead of one. That would be nice, but it's not, it's not a non-negotiable for me at this moment because um, I just need a house. Um, and uh, a fence in the yard uh, for the dog. That would be really great, not just a yard, but a fenced one. Um, and good parking, which is kind of a miracle in Morgantown. See, pray for me. That we'll find a house with parking. Um, so you understand what I mean by negotiables and non-negotiables? Yes. Cool. So many of the issues that people encounter when it comes to choosing the right spouse and all that goes into dating is this this issue of, of negotiables and non-negotiables. For example, if a non-negotiable for you, something that you can't live without, is that your future spouse has like you know rock hard abs and looks kind of like Chris Hemsworth. In about 10 to 20 years, you're probably going to be filing for divorce because aging will start to set in, right? I mean, that, if that's a non-negotiable for you, that's not going to turn out very well. You understand what I'm saying? So we have to have, like, appropriate, realistic negotiables and non-negotiables. So we're just going to briefly talk about a couple of these things. So the most important are the non-negotiables. Okay, these are the things that you won't budge on when it comes to choosing the person you're gonna spend the rest of your life with. So the first non-negotiable, spiritual compatibility. If you are a follower of Jesus, he or she must be a follower of Jesus. This is like n- no budging here, right? Right? No badging. The Bible's pretty clear about this. It says in 1 Corinthians 6.14, Paul tells the Corinthians, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? I know this kind of maybe sounds a little bit harsh, but it actually isn't. It's actually really logical. (laughs) Um, Remember, we're talking about your life partner. We keep saying this word like oneness, right? Um, Oneness of spirit, of soul. If his or her soul does not belong to Jesus and yours does, like, how's that going to work, right? How are you going to become one? It's kind of like, it's like trying to breed an elephant with a stingray. You know, like, <laughs> it might be possible, but not naturally, okay? Like, that's just not going to happen. It's kind of a weird example, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. It's not, it's not logical. It's light and dark. It's, like, black and white. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. I didn't mean to say that. That was weird. Anyway, um, (laughs) uh, but you understand what I'm saying, right? There must be spiritual compatibility. Like, how do you each define what it really means to follow Jesus? If your girlfriend thinks that following Jesus just means going to church a couple times a year, but you think God might be calling you to be a missionary, like, how do you reconcile that? Do you see what I'm saying? So when, when... Paul says don't be yoked together with unbelievers. He's not just saying, like, you know, make sure that you both call yourselves Christians. He's like, you need to, like, to be yoked, you got to have, like, the same, like, kind of capacity. You're both carrying the same weight. Does that make sense? Like, you're not going to put, like, um, I don't know, like a... I'm not even gonna try to do an example here. Uh, anyways, yeah, you don't you don't wanna put two things that are totally opposite together, right? Like a, a cow and a cat in, in a yoke, right? Like that's just not gonna work. It's it's not gonna happen. So all my animal examples, we gotta move away from animals. Um Even if you don't see the effects of spiritual incompatibility, now, over time, things are going to begin to erode when you have to decide your views on sex or how you'll raise your children or what you'll spend your money and your time on. This is, like, vital to the health of your relationship. All right, second non-negotiable, shared values and virtues. Kind of goes along with this. Um, Does this person value the things that you value? Do they have the same convictions as you? Do they have virtues, specifically do you see growth in them? Like it's, it's their character. Is their character there? In your worst moments, how do they respond? Is it like with love and kindness or like disgust, <laughs> you know? Virtues will get more virtuous, but vices just get more, well, vicious. I want to say vicious, but it's vicious. Um, so think, okay, close your eyes. Think about the person that you're either attracted to right now or dating or married to. What are they going to look like in 20 years? (laughs) Not physically, but thinking about virtues and vices, right? Think about some of their virtues. They're just going to get more virtuous. Think about some of their vices. Those are going to get worse. What are they going to look like in 20 years? You can open your eyes. got to think about that, right? We have to think about these things. And here's a really good rule of thumb just to help you with this. Choose a friend, someone who understands you and makes you a better person. Don't just, like, randomly date someone. Sometimes that works out, but look for a friend. I feel like for so long I had this idea that dating was, like, something totally other. Like, it was this whole other, like, category of relationship. But the truth is the best marriages start with the best friendships. They really do. Remember earlier we read in the Genesis account in Genesis 2.18, it says, um, God said, it's it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God made Eve, the first woman, as a helper for Adam. And this word helper is ezer in the Hebrew, and it literally means helper, companion, or friend. Isn't that so cool? Like, God didn't just give Adam a lover. He gave him a friend, like a companion. I think that's so amazing. At the end of the day, Charles and I's friendship is, is like what, what like sustains us in a lot of ways. Obviously, it's the Lord, first and foremost, but it really holds us together, our friendship. Um, he's the one that like, I want to spend time with, I want to hang out with, because I enjoy him more than anybody else in the whole world. Like We have fun together. He's my confidant. He's my companion. He's my friend. He makes me want to love Jesus more. He makes me want to love other people more. He makes me want to be the best version of myself that I can be, all that God wants me to be. He's my friend. That's so huge. That's such a huge part of our relationship. So just just a little word of advice. Start with friendship. Okay, so back to our list. If your non-negotiable list um, is really long, um, you might have too many, right? If you have to, like, turn the page, so to speak, that's too many. So um, keep it pretty short, but it's important that you have these. And then negotiables, we're not going to go into this really. It, it's like pretty self-explanatory. These are things that you think you would like, but in the end, they don't really matter. They're not deal breakers. Um, so examples would be like athletic or musical or they have blonde hair or whatever. Um, don't overlook somebody just because they might not have, you know, one of your negotiables. But also, don't be afraid to ask God for like some of those things. Um, it's not bad to have an idea of what you want. That's Okay but just make sure that that like you ultimately are paying attention to what matters most. Does that make sense? Cool. Okay. So we figured out some things about the selection process, which is huge, but what comes after this? Um, This is where most of our, like, questions and thoughts and struggles um, usually end up is in, like, the actual dating. So I'm quickly going to give you just a few guardrails for dating, some things to keep us from, like, careening off the road into disaster, okay? Um, So the first guardrail is a guardrail around your time. How much time will you spend together as a dating couple? Is your world a world of two? Do you dominate each other's calendars? If you do, that's a pretty dangerous place to be, and I'll tell you why. It's because all of your emotional support is in one person, and that is a lot of weight for one person to carry, too much, in fact, and it's really dangerous for them and for you. You need to be spending time in community. An isolated dating relationship is so dangerous. God gave us community to help us and protect us, okay? Um, I know that, that we don't always like what our friends have to say, but they see a lot of things in us and in our significant others that we don't see because, you know, the saying, love is blind, right? But your friends are not. Um, and so we need our friends around us. Second thing, guardrail around your body. Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint. I'm not going to belabor this because Charles did an incredible job talking about purity last week. So good. Um, We don't just seek after purity because, like, God tells us to and it's in the Bible, but because it actually is the way that leads to life, abundant life and joy and fun. Like, seriously, purity is so much fun. Um, So a common question uh, that I feel like I hear most when, when it comes to this is how far is too far? anybody ever asked that question or been asked that question well honestly if you have to ask that question probably going too far um, I was like all about blurring the lines and dating I, I was pretty uh, sheltered growing up and so all I had was like these super I'm a romantic remember super like just like like yeah just crazy ideas about what romance should be because of movies and just my own imagination. And, um, and I'd never like gone too far physically in any relationship before Charles and I dated. And so I didn't realize like how slippery the slope was. And you know, I'm just gonna be honest, um, Charles and I had to put out fuses a lot of times. Um, Winky Prattney, he says this, getting physically involved is like igniting a built-in bomb. Each time you light the fuse, it will burn and the next time you light it, you will begin where you left off, arf, arf, Off. there we go. You don't just start over, right? You Pick up where you left off. If you keep moving the boundary line, eventually there will not be a boundary line. It only takes minutes to do something that you will regret for a very long time. So let's, let's be serious about this. The last one is a guardrail around your heart. Like I said a couple minutes ago, one person cannot carry the weight of your world alone. Um, it's just—it's just really scary to both you and to them when you do that. Um, and I think emotional and spiritual boundaries are oftentimes something we we overlook. Uh, we tend to only think about like physical boundaries when we think about this. But the Bible says in Proverbs 4:23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So this is something like really serious. Above all else, that's pretty serious. The protection and health of our hearts is so vital. Marriage is all about oneness. We keep saying that, right? And and it's not just physical oneness. It's emotional and spiritual, and that's where you're heading. But God, in his good and perfect design, has reserved not just physical oneness, but, like, emotional and spiritual oneness and intimacy. There's a level of intimacy that he has reserved for marriage. Okay? And so we have to just be really careful. Like, you, you may not need to be having, like, all night long prayer vigils, just you and your significant other, okay? Um, <laughs> you don't need to be, like, their primary discipler or mentor. That's why we have community. There's just, there's just places we don't want to put ourselves because it puts your, like, if you, if you try to move that, like, like, spiritual and emotional, you know, level of intimacy forward without letting the physical go too, it puts your body in this awkward position of trying to catch up. Okay, and you're going to end up making some pretty poor choices. So we need to really guard our hearts. Does this make sense? Okay. All right, so we're going to move on. If you have any questions about any of that, please feel free to come talk to me. Um, I know we could talk about this like for hours, but we're going to bring this to a close. Um, worship team, you can go ahead and come back up. So in all of this, I think it would be really easy to think that the primary destination for a relationship is marriage between a man and a woman. That that's the one thing we're striving after, right? Like, if we're lucky, we'll get those 50-plus years of, you know, marital bliss. But marriage, as we know it here on earth, is not the ultimate destination. If you've been around me long enough, or been around Kai Alpha, I guarantee you've heard me say this before. A few years ago, a really good friend of mine told me this about marriage, and I have never, ever been able to shake it since then. She said this, marriage is not a reward it either is or is not on the path of obedience toward greater intimacy with Jesus. Marriage is not a reward. It either is or is not on the path of obedience toward greater intimacy with Jesus. Wow. Intimacy with Jesus. Friends, there is another marriage, another romance great and a sacred love story that you were created for that extends well beyond 50-plus years, well into eternity. We mentioned earlier that the Bible begins with the wedding between Adam and Eve and that it also ends with a wedding. In the book of Revelation, at the very end of the Bible, we have a record of a vision that God gave to the Apostle John concerning the end of days and the return of King Jesus. So we're going to read Revelation 19, 6 through 8, and then jump to 21, 1 through 5. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And jumping to chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which is a representation of the people of God, that's you and me, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This idea of marriage to Christ has always been, I think, kind of hard for the church to understand. I know it has been for me. Um, But God continues to bring this imagery before us all throughout the Bible. Um, In the Old Testament, God tells the prophet Hosea to pursue and marry a prostitute in order to be like a living symbol of God's marriage relationship to the the rebellious nation of Israel. And God says in Hosea 2.16 that one day Israel will no longer call God master, but they'll call him husband. That's the kind of relationship that God wanted with them and with us. And then we see God describe himself as husband and bridegroom like over and over again in lots of other places too. Isaiah 62.5, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Um, For the maker, your maker is your husband, Isaiah 54. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband, Jeremiah 3. Throughout the Bible, God presents himself as the husband of his people, his church, his bride, whom he loves and cherishes. And it's so cool because marriage is the closest, most intimate relationship we can experience here on earth. There's nothing closer, nothing more intimate than marriage. So God uses it almost exclusively to illustrate the kind of intimacy and depth of relationship that he wants to have with you and with me. So marriage ultimately is meant to be a mirror. It's not the final destination. It's simply like a stop. It's, it's a possible stop. It's a beautiful taste of a greater, deeper, fuller intimacy that is only possible with God. And I know it's a little difficult to wrap our minds around this idea. Even the, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, he, he calls it a profound mystery. <laughs> it's a nice way of saying it. He's like, I don't understand this. But uh, this idea of, of Christ being married to the church, it's, it's hard to understand. But even though it's hard to understand, like a lot of things in the Bible, we have to try. Because the Bible talks about this over and over again. And the more you read the Bible, you're going to see it, I promise you. If the symbolism of marriage is so important to God, then it needs to be important to us too. We call God Father, right? We call him friend, we call him Lord, but how often do we call him a husband? But he calls himself husband a lot. And if he refers to himself in this way, don't you think it's at least important for us to, to ask why, to try to understand? Whether you marry in this life or not, it honestly, it honestly holds very little significance in comparison to the glorious reality of oneness and intimacy with Jesus one day we are gonna sit at that marriage feast the marriage supper of the lamb dressed in the fine white linen of righteousness and purity and joy as the bride of Christ and on that day everything we thought was important it's just it's just gonna like pale in comparison right to the glorious riches of knowing jesus and being known by him and i i want you to understand this i i am just as i was preparing for this i like i knew a lot of it would be practical but i just i really want this to be what you walk away with tonight more than anything i I hope that you get some good tools you know for um finding a spouse and dating and all that stuff but like y'all if we miss this we miss everything um I want you to walk away with a deeper understanding of God's love for you and his desire for intimacy with you. I want you to walk away hungrier than ever for the real deep relationship that you can have with God as your husband. You don't have to be a girl to try to understand this, okay? We have to try to understand this, um, yeah, this reality that God is our husband, that intimacy with him that's our destination that's where we're heading that's that's our purpose so um there's some some a few ways that you can respond tonight as we worship if you have like a tainted view of marriage and dating if, if that's just something that has been just a sore place in your life um a place that's led, to, led you to a lot of pain and a lot of misunderstanding and confusion about what God's designed for marriage and for dating really is, I want you to let God speak to you what's true tonight. If you need to get alone with him and journal or pray or whatever, I, w- I want you to let God speak what's true over you tonight. And if you're in a dating relationship, this is a great time to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about that relationship, to convict, to encourage, and to guide you. Is it supreme in your life? Is your significant other supreme in your life? Are you walking in wisdom? Are you living in community? Ask Jesus about these things. And then just for everyone, I I just want us to let God romance us tonight. I I know that sounds weird, especially if you're a guy, but, like, this is so important. God longs for intimacy with you. He longs for intimacy with you. So let's, let's try to understand that part of his heart tonight. Let's let him woo us. It's so cool. I was reading um, earlier today something someone said, like, you know, so often we think that we're the ones pursuing God. We're pursuing God, seeking after him, seek him, seek him. But the reality is he is pursuing you. He is pursuing you. That's why he's called husband because he is after you. You're his bride, and he wants you. He wants you pure. He wants you whole. He wants you to have life intimacy with him. So let him come after you tonight. Jesus, we love you. We love you, God. Thank you for your pursuit of us. Thank you, God. You're so good. Thank you that that it's not all on us, that, that you've been pursuing us since before we were even born, when we were just a thought in your mind. God, you wanted us. You longed for us, God, and you are here to romance every single one of us. God, help us to understand this part of your character, to not, like, shy away from it or, like, be scared or weirded out by you as husband, God, but to to try to understand, to, to have the humility to get on our knees and, and ask you to reveal this part of yourself to us tonight. Because intimacy with you, that's it's everything. That's where we're heading that's our ultimate destination, not not getting married in this life or getting a boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, that stuff just fades. But God, you never do, and only you can satisfy us and fill us, Jesus. So we love you, God. We welcome you. Come and speak to us. We need you, Jesus.